Active FM presents Food for Thought with Pastor Kevin and Pastor Vicky Ensley. So the Great Reset, we started that last week, the Great Reset, and today the sermon's entitled Praying with Purpose, Praying with Purpose, and if you've been part of the prayer meetings, we've been talking about praying with purpose all week, we've been talking about praying the prayers of God, because that's when you start praying powerful prayers, you know when we, when we pray God's prayers, they become incredibly powerful, there's nothing more powerful in life than praying prayers and seeing God answer your prayers. Seeing the supernatural of God as He answers your prayers. It is the best thing that there is. And so as we're praying with purpose, we're expecting to be fruitful in 2020. And last week we looked at, you know, the Great Reset and what is the world's definition. It comes from the World Economic Forum. And I'm not, I'm not punting the Great Reset, okay? I'm not punting it. What I'm just telling you is what they say it is. It's a proposal by the World Economic Forum to rebuild the economy sustainably following the COVID-19 pandemic. It's a way to slip in climate change as well. You understand what I'm saying, to be honest with you. It was unveiled in May 2020 by the United Kingdom's Prince Charles and the World Economic Forum Director Klaus Schwab. It seeks to improve capitalism, okay? It improves capitalism by making investments geared more towards mutual progress and focusing more on environmental initiatives. So in other words, you don't eat meat. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to tell you why. But in any case, that's, what, that's part of it. A petition in Canada to stop it gained 80,000 signatures in less than 72 hours last year, and a conspiracy theory has spread in response, claiming it's all used to bring in a supposed new world order. All right, so that is the, the world version of it. And, and what I want you to realize is that we need... A, a, a great reset but it's a spiritual great reset because you know and, and I want to give these stats again which we gave last week 51% of Christians do not know the great commission they don't even know what the great commission is 17% of Christians can't describe the great commission and we're talking these 17% the only, the only people in the study that were asked what the, you know, to describe the great commission were those who said they knew it so 17% of, you know, that's nearly half, the 49% that say they know the Great Commission can't describe it. And only 7% of Christians are excited to share the gospel with someone. 7%. And 2% of Christians will lead someone to Jesus in their lifetime. 2%. That means 2 out of every 100. Now while this is true, 37% of the lost would like someone to tell them about how to get to God. They would like someone to disciple them. 34% feel something is missing in their lives and they can't account for it and they can't fix it. And then in the United States, 63% of the non-Christians grew up in a Christian home. In order to change this, understand that there's a darkness over the world, but there's a darkness over the church because we actually don't understand where the real life is. We don't understand where the glory of the Lord really is. We don't understand where it is, you know, where those treasures are that the Lord has for us. Those great riches that the Bible talks about, and you would have heard about those if you've been in the prayer meetings. And Jesus said, when the disciples came to him asking why they couldn't cast a demon out of a man's son, he said in, in, 
in Matthew chapter, in Matthew chapter um, 9, verses 29, he said, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So they could not get the demon out. And Jesus says, This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And, and why are we fasting? Because we want a great reset. We want, we want to reset our entire worldview, our mindset, our focus, our priorities, everything onto God so that we could move from being the could-nots to the I-cans. The could-nots to the I-cans. And understand this. And this is why it's so important. And, and this is why we don't just fast in the 21 days. Now, we're fasting in the 21 days to set aside our first fruits. And so next Sunday when we give in the offering, it's a first fruits offering for the year. I want to encourage you to set aside a good first fruits offering. An offering is over and above your tithe for the year. We, we said about this, this, this first part of the year, the, in, in the first month, most of the first month of the year, where we give up food. Why? Because we're making the Lord our priority. And understand that the spirits of darkness that are over the world, and there's, there's a, a deep darkness over the world at this time. Suicides are going up and all sorts of things like that. I don't just believe it's a lockdown. I, I believe there's dark spirits over the world, and we overcome spirits of darkness through prayer and fasting. And, and why does it only get overcome through prayer and fasting? Because faith always activates action. Very important. And that's why we, we spoke last week about the fact that Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast. We're commanded to fast. And, and why are we fasting? We're not, as I said, fasting for something. We're fasting because we want to get close to God. Because there's a disconnect between us and God. And when there's a disconnect, our faith is lacking. That's why we fast. And it's also important, you know, even when you're sitting there at home, that you worship with everything that you have. As if you were a church. That when we do the prayer meeting in the morning and we have the song. That you worship with everything that you have. Because when you do that, you're ushering the presence of God in. And 1 Timothy 2 verse 8. Paul said to Timothy, I desire that men pray everywhere. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Without wrath and doubting. Wrath means I won't do it. I'm not going to fast. That's not for me. Or... I'm not going to clap my hands or I'm not going to raise my hands. It's the I won't. Not the I can't, the I won't. And then, moving on from that, without doubting. That means you believe that God is who the Bible says He is. That God can and wants to answer your prayers. You, you, you've got to move towards a generation that says, I believe the Bible. I do the Bible. Because it's only when I do the Bible that I really know the Bible. And so don't get caught up with the I feel generation. You know, I feel this. I feel that. I feel the next thing. That's why Jesus said, when you fast, don't look sad. You know, put on deodorant. Put on your best clothes so people don't even know you're fasting. Why? If everyone knows you're fasting, you've received your reward. Amen. So... Moving on from this now, our, our theme for the year is fructify. And many people will think that's not even a word, but seriously, if you will look in the dictionary, you actually find that word. 
And when I saw the theme last year, I thought that's not a word until I looked it up and I found out that is a word. And, and what the word means, well, there's two contexts. It can be as a verb or it can be as a verb used with an object. So a verb used without an object or a verb used with an object. And verb used without an object is to bear fruit. Fructify means you bear fruit. It means there's fruit in your life that people can see as a result of your faith, as a result of your relationship with God. It means to become fruitful. With careful tending, the plant will fructify. Uh, if it's used with an object, it means make fruitful or productive. So, for example, to fertilize. So, the warm spring rains fructify in the earth. Now, discipleship is a fructification process. That's what it's about. That you become fruitful in everything that you do. Fruitful in the purposes of Almighty God. Fruitful in your prayer life. Now, in James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, and if you've been in the prayer meetings, you know we've spoken about this verse or these two verses a few times. The Apostle James is actually writing to the church and he actually tells them why they, their prayers never get answered. He actually tells them why it is that God never does anything for them. And I don't know if you've ever complained that God never does anything for you. Well, I want to tell you that if you've complained about that, God is not the problem. And James actually says this. In James chapter 4 verse 2 and 3, he says, You lust and do not have. So you're a Christian. You're in church. You're sitting in the service. You're watching the service. You lust after things. There's things that you want, but you do not have them. And then it says, you murder and covet and cannot contain. In other words, you will maybe go to the point of murder. You will covet what other people have. You will wish that you had what other people have, and yet you can't get it. You will steal to get it. You will steal someone else's husband or wife to get a husband or wife. You will steal someone else's car to get a car. You will steal someone else's data to get data. You will steal someone else's airtime. You will, you will become a thief or you will covet. In other words, you will hate the person because they have what you want. But even though you do all those things, even though you compromise, even though you sin to get something, you still don't have it. And then he goes on, he says, you, you fight and war. You're burning. You go to the cell group and there's a big fight there. You understand what I'm saying? You go to your home and instead of there being a nice, peaceful family situation, it's like, let's go, round number one, ting. And, and, and there's, there's a big, you know, it's a world a championship boxing match that's going on there instead of a, a home. The same even in the church. You fight and you war. Think about that. How many people are in a state of war purely because they're not getting what they want? Tell the person next to you, say, yeah. Don't just look at me. And then he goes on, he says, Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So the, the, the first thing you need to realize, he says, the first reason you don't have is because you don't even pray. You see, you don't even believe that God exists. You don't even believe that God is real. And even if you believe Israel, you don't come to him believing that he's going to answer your prayers. Come on, say amen, somebody. All right? 
You don't believe it. And guess what? If you don't believe it, then prayer is a boring thing. I have to give you that. Prayer is the biggest waste of time if you don't believe it. And so you need to, first of all, you need to make the change and to start asking. And then he says, and oh yeah, some of you do pray and you do ask, but you do not receive. And, and why do you not receive? Because you ask amiss. When you're praying, you're not praying out of the purposes of Almighty God. You're asking amiss. You're asking that you may get something that you may spend it on your pleasures. Yes, sir. You just want that Porsche so that sexy Sally down the road is going to think you're hot and then she's going to marry you and you're going to get sex. That's the only reason you're asking. If this, the core or the, or, or, or the purpose of your prayers is for your pleasures, you know, God may answer them. I'm not saying He won't. But a lot of them won't be answered. And you're going to be frustrated. When you're coming to God, the first thing that you have to understand and the first thing that you have to realize and get into your head is that the source of everything is Jesus. You have to believe that. You have to be convicted of that. Even the source of your cleansing. The source of your cleansing is Jesus. Listen, without Jesus, without the blood of Jesus, you are filthy. And cleansing comes at the cross. And the cross has two dimensions. We've said this many times. You have a vertical dimension. So the cross sorts out our relationship with the Father in heaven. Our relationship with Almighty God. That's what the vertical beam of the cross is there for. Jesus took away the gap between us and the Father. In other words, that we're able to have faith. And here's the reality. When God is our first love, sin doesn't happen. Every time sin happens in our lives, it's a revelation to us that God is not our first love. If, if God is our first love, and we are fired up with faith, and we are full of His presence, we won't sin because of our love for Him. When God isn't our, our first love, then all of this other stuff, all of this sin happens. Why? Because we're looking at everything other than Jesus. The horizontal beam on the cross deals with our relationship with other people. And when our relationships with other people are not God-centered and we haven't put God first, when we're putting people first, sin happens. Here's the reality, church. God wants you to walk with a pure heart and a clean conscience. And in order for that to happen, you need to get to Jesus. You need to realize that the cleansing of your conscience happens at the cross. And that's why we've got the declaration, because I walk in the light and have fellowship with other believers, the blood of Jesus cleanses me now and continually of all sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses me now and continually of all sin. Let me tell you something. If I'm going to be if I'm going to fructify, if I'm going to be fruitful, then I've got to know this and I've got to believe this. Because I walk in the light and have fellowship with other believers, in other words, I'm meeting with other believers in church, the blood of Jesus cleanses me now and continually. It's not a once-off thing. It cleanses me now and continually of all sin. It's like your liver or your kidneys. Your blood is continuously being cleansed. 
1 John 1 verse 5 to 10 says, This is the message that we have heard from Him and declared to you, that God in, is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. There is no darkness in, in, in God. Therefore, if you're experiencing darkness, it's because God is not there. You're disconnected from Him and that's why you're fasting because you want to reconnect yourself to Him. That's why you're praying because you want to reconnect yourself with Him. And if you've been watching the prayer meetings, then you know that you want to reconnect yourself to the will of God and the purpose of God. You want to know what God's will is. You know that you can know. God will give you His will if you ask Him. And then he goes on in verse 6 and says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, if I'm walking in darkness and I'm doing things and I don't care about the things that I'm doing, I'm happy to sin. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Notice faith comes in action as we spoke last week. And then in verse 7 it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, again, that, that, that statement there, if you look at the original Hebrew, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us, that cleanses is now and continually. It's a continuous thing. And when you make that declaration, you know, of the five declarations, we went through it in the prayer meetings, then, then this is where it comes from, 1 John 5, sorry, 1 John 1 verse 7. And then it goes on and says in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If his word is not in you, you're in trouble. And the best case scenario is just that your prayers won't be answered. Worst case scenario is eternal. The message of Jesus needs to be proclaimed. And what those verses are saying is that God is light and that there is no darkness in God. If we're walking in darkness, then there is a problem. And Kenneth L. Barker said, walking in darkness means we have no love for one another. We have no love for other people in the church. Maybe you prefer people that are outside the church to those that are inside the church. Maybe you're one of those that say the people outside the church are better than the people in the church. You're walking in darkness. The problem is not the other people in the church. The problem is you. Why are you closer to people that are not with Christ? People who walk in darkness, you will hate your Christian brothers and sisters. If you're having issues with others here at church, Maybe you even have issues with believers from other churches. You're walking in darkness. If you claim to be sinless, you're walking in darkness. What does that mean? You never admit you're wrong. You never admit you're wrong because your thinking is small. Your thinking is tiny. There is no purpose in your thinking. And you, you are happy to stay small. You know, you're happy to stay small. It's like if you, if you really analyze poor people, poor people complain about being poor. But if you look at what they do and if you look at how they think, many times they're actually happy to stay poor because they don't actually know that there's a problem. They're always blaming someone else. They don't know that there's a problem. Never admitting you're wrong, when we do this, we deceive ourselves. And here's the clincher. 
if we claim we have not sinned, we're saying, God, sorry, my man, you're a liar. Because you said that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't have sinned. Like, who do you think you are, God? Who do you think you are to tell me I've got sin? Well, okay. I don't know who's going to win that battle. Walking in darkness means you deny that Jesus is God and that he came in the flesh. Walking in the light and in the fellowship with other believers, when we do that, then the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. I want to tell you, if, if, if you're walking in the light, in other words, you're admitting when you're wrong. You're working hard not to be wrong, to not sin. You're making decisions that are God's decision. You're searching after God and His kingdom and His will. The blood of Jesus is cleansing you from all sin all the time. If you have one of these issues, I want to encourage you today to fix it. Because you need to realize this. We show the world around us the contents of our hearts by our actions. Look at 1 John 2, verse 1 to 6. It says, my little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. So it says, I'm telling you these things so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So you've got a lawyer for you up there in heaven. He's your lawyer. Okay, so I'm telling you these things so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, you do have an advocate. You've got Jesus who's fighting your case. And, and, and what is the evidence that he used to fight your case for you? His own blood. His own blood. And then it goes on and says, and he himself is the repetition for our sins. And not only ours, but also for the whole world. The blood of Jesus has been, has been shed to set aside the sins of the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. So how do you know if you love Jesus? Are you doing what Jesus says? Are you fulfilling the commandments of Jesus? He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth isn't in him. And I want to ask you, are you keeping the commandments of Jesus? Are you keeping the commandments of the church? It's not by those commandments that you're saved. But whether you're keeping his commandments shows whether you love him or not. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we're in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Your aim then is to become like Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus. And John warns us so that we don't make it our, our aim to sin. We understand that sin is not okay. And we need to be serious about God. Now, what if we mess up? Look, when we mess up, Jesus is our advocate before the Father. Now, advocates, you know, they cost something like 50,000 rand a day in court. There's other cost things that they'll charge you. But for one day in court, they'll charge you 50,000 rand. They're a very expensive lawyer. And Jesus is your advocate. And yes, the price for him is way more than 50,000 a day. But he paid it for you. He sorted out our sin plus the sin of the whole world. How do we know if he is? If we keep his commandment, we keep his words. And so what is his word? What are his commandments? What did Jesus command the church to do? Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the Lord? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So God is first. I mean, with everything. All of your mind. All of your soul. All of your everything. 
This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commandments hang, the, hang all the law and the prophets. So obeying the commandments of Jesus is what we do if God is our number one priority. So understand this. God has an assignment for you. He has an assignment for you. And your number one priority is to fulfill his assignment. And if you want to know what success is, people are searching after success. Success is to fulfill your God-given assignment. That's it. If you don't fulfill your God-given assignment in life, your life is not successful. If you fulfill your God-given assignment in life, your life is successful. Now, what needs to happen in order for you to fulfill your God-given assignment? Two things. The one is faith, because you're not going to fulfill it without Him. He's got to do supernatural things that are outside of you for you to fulfill your God-given assignment. So the one is faith, and the second is your will. You decide, I'm going to submit my will to the will of God. God's will comes first. God created us for a purpose. And God's idea in everything that he created is his purpose for that thing. And, and, and God's idea in creating you was his purpose for you. Now understand, when he created you, God never started anything that he didn't finish first. You see, he has a thing. And this is what's so exciting. You already finished your purpose. You just have to decide to walk with him. You say, how am I going to do it? You just have to decide, I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to take it one step at a time. And he's going to deal with me right where, where I'm at. But I'm, over time, I'm going to grow. Because his grace is going to be lavished on me. Jesus knew before he lived that he would be born, that he would die and rise again. And then he went and he began. And he was placed inside of his mother Mary by the Holy Spirit. Because God never started anything until he finished it. Your assignment is from the Lord. You already heard there, love God, love people. That verse I read earlier from Matthew. Put God first, love people as you love yourself. Your job is to discover your assignment. If you don't, you won't live it. And if you don't live your assignment, if you don't live your purpose, your life will have no, no quality. You'll not have a quality life. If you look in, in the Bible, in, in Genesis, Methuselah lived for 969 years. That's a long time, nearly a thousand years. Eh? Imagine if you lived for 969 years. Imagine now you are 950 years old. Take 950 of 2021. I think you'd be alive before the year 1000, eh, Calvin? Yet Jesus only lived for 33 and a half years. But in spite of everything Methuselah did that's recorded in the Bible, he died. He just died. There was no purpose in his death. Sin caused his death. Yet Jesus, he lived for 33 and a half years. He caused an earth-shattering change, an eternity-shattering change. And by contrast to Methuselah, he died for a purpose. 
If you want to die for a purpose, you live for Jesus. Do you want to live a long life or do you want to live an effective life? God wants you to have an effective life. You know, some people, they go to gym. They eat vitamins every day. And then eventually they die anyway. Even those people who are so fit that they run the Comrades Marathon and maybe even win the Comrades Marathon, they still die one day. But if you live for the purposes of God, even your death will be part of the purpose of God. You are born for an assignment. Those of you who have heard Bishop Ariel, he says, anyone who dies without fulfilling their assignment was killed. And some are killed because they don't fulfill their assignment. Only people who fulfill their assignment die. If you don't fulfill your assignment and your life ends, you will kill. Pastor Bert says, your provision follows your purpose. Pastor Bert Pretorius. You want God to provide for you? You, you, you put his purpose first. Your provision will follow that. Dr. Miles Monroe, when he was still alive, he used to say this, that you want to find the richest piece of real estate, you won't find it in the gold mines. You'll find it in the graveyard. You'll find it in the graveyard because of all the dreams that died with the people that died there that never saw the light of day. Life doesn't happen by chance. You're not successful according to God's assignment for you by accident. You don't marry the right person by accident. Alright? You hit you hit your assignment. You hit your purpose on purpose. You hit it when you're accurate according to the will of God for your life. You, you only find out about the will of God for your life if you read his Bible and in your prayer you're praying. Ask you're asking God, Lord, tell me what your will is. We've been teaching it now the last two weeks in the prayer meetings. Lord, I want to know what your will is. I want to understand your will. That my spiritual eyes will be open so I understand it. To such an extent I'm able to teach it to others. Lord, I want to do your will. Help me to make the decision to do your will. And then sustain me in the doing of your will. And then what do you say? Lord, I'm so thankful for your calling. I'm so thankful that you took the time and the trouble to have a calling for me. You don't marry the right person by accident. You don't do the right job by accident. Your life has been given to you and your responsibility is to live it, the way, to live it in a way that God can use it for His purpose. So what are you building? What are you building? Because you need to think about that. You know that there are people that you know. There are places that you go to and there are meetings that you attend that are killing your assignment. There are some things you're needing to cut out of your life. There are some videos or YouTube channels that you need to cut out of your life. If you want to find your assignment with Almighty God. And I just want to remind you. We've been teaching you how to pray. And if you haven't been part of the prayer meetings, I encourage you to go and listen to them. But we pray, our Father art in heaven. We're presupposing we have a relationship with the Father because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you haven't got one, I'm going to speak to you now. Because of your relationship with Jesus, you call God the Father. 
And then we pray, hallowed be your name. We praise God. That's why we started the service with singing and with praise. That's why we had Vusi it with, with come on worship and, and you know, praising God and, and, and telling God that he's awesome. And, because that ushers in the presence of God. The Bible says that God inhabits our praises. And then, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as in heaven. We're praying for the kingdom of God to be established on earth. And if the kingdom of God is going to be established on earth, then the will of God must happen here on earth as it is in heaven. So if I'm praying that, where's the first place that's got to happen? It's got to happen in me. That's actually a legal statement. It's actually a legal decree that I'm making right now. I'm saying, Lord, I'm sacrificing my will for yours. And, and, and I want to know your will. Lord, please show me what is your purpose for me today. I want to fulfill that purpose. And then only we say, give us this day our daily bread. Oh, not, oh, God, please help me. That's normally how we start, you know. Lucky packet. What's God got for me today? No, no. Only now. And give us this day our daily bread. We're praying every single day. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, yeah, my sins. Like we said earlier, I'm admitting this is the stuff I know. I know you're not pleased with. And, and oh, Lord, I forgive Arnold over there because you love him. I pray that you bless him. And Lord, I'm going to go sorry because I did some stuff to Arnold because I had unforgiveness towards him. So I'm going to apologize for that. Because I want Arnold blessed. I'm dealing with my issues. I'm getting rid of my baggage. And then lead us not into temptation. So Lord, give us your plans. And yeah, we, we, we ask you to anoint our plans so that we're going to do what you want and not some other stuff. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now it's spiritual warfare. Because our, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers of this dark age. Even this damn virus. It's a spiritual war. You've you got a war against this thing in the spirit. You've got a war against it with everything that you have. You, this is why we've talked so much about the blood of Jesus now during the pandemic. You have to apply that blood and believe that, that God has sealed your home. Amen. That if, uh, if, 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 you know, if the angel of death comes, he's not coming into your home, he's going to pass over. Amen? And for thine is the kingdom. Not for mine is the kingdom. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I want to live with you forever, Lord. But the first thing you've got to do to be able to live with him forever is you've got to have your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you today, do you have your faith set in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because Romans chapter 10 verse 8 and 9 says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if, we confess, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen, my friend, lady or gentleman, your eternity is at stake. What do you need to have to be saved? Faith. You just got to say, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. That's it. That's it. That's what you got to do. You got to trust in him as your Lord and Savior. And repent. Repent of living the world's way. And so, don't struggle against this. Come to the altar of God, it sanctifies everything. Don't put it off. You, don't wait until later. Now is the time. The Lord has had to move heaven and earth for you to even get a revelation of His Word here today. Don't think that you've had this feeling inside of your heart like this thing is specifically for you for nothing. 
The Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. And so the Lord might be saying to you, if you don't, if you don't accept me now, then something's going to shut down. You'll never have this opportunity again. The Lord's saying, don't tell me that there's too much sin. Because you're cheapening the blood of my son Jesus. You believe in, in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Lord says to you right now, and he will wash all of your sin away. You don't have a purpose, you give your life to Jesus, he'll give you eternal purpose. And I want you to close your eyes. If you're at a place, maybe you're at work or you know, on transport or something like that and you can't, then just put your right hand on your heart right now. Because when you're doing this, you're coming and you're saying, Lord, now is the time I want to commit to you now, Lord. Lord, I want to submit my life completely to you right now because I make a mess of it anyway. I'd rather give it to you. And I can't wait until later. I can't wait. I'm not going to wait, Lord, because I don't know if I'll make it. I want to commit to you now. And I don't want to live my, eternal, my eternity far from you. I want to know that when death comes knocking, that I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be ready. And I want to live close to you from this day forward. So that when my death does come, it won't affect me. Because I'll now be with you for eternity. I was in a meeting this week when the news was coming out that the cabinet minister here in South Africa, Jackson and Tembu, had passed away from COVID-19. And from what I understand, first of all, a lot of people said he was a very nice man. I didn't know him, obviously, but he was a very nice man, apparently. And what was spoken of in that meeting was he was a believer, and one of the pastors that was it was a meeting of pastors. One of the pastors that was in that meeting, from what I understand, was his pastor. And that pastor had to minister to the family. Even if you die from COVID, if you die with Jesus, you still win. The Lord will protect many of you from COVID if you will believe in Him, if you will trust Him, if you will put Him first, if you will apply the blood of Jesus. You will defeat this virus in Jesus' name. And if you've given your life the purpose of God, you will not die until your purpose is complete. And so now, wherever you are, I want everyone just to put, all of you now, put your right hand on your heart. And I want you to visualize Jesus. Visualize His blood being shed for you. Lord, I just pray for everyone that's visualizing. Just give them a revelation. Lord, every curse is destroyed. Every sickness is destroyed. All sin is destroyed. All destruction in terms of their relationship with you is destroyed. All the destruction in terms of their relationship that the enemy has brought with other people is destroyed. By the blood of Jesus, in Jesus' name. I want you to picture Jesus dying on the cross for you right now because that same blood that is being shed there that you're seeing in your mind's eye right now was shed over 2,000 years ago for you, but the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that blood is cleansing you right now. It's the price that he paid to take away your sin. I spoke earlier about the advocate. He paid the price for you to hire him as your advocate in front of the courtroom of heaven. And so we're going to pray now, and you're going to believe this prayer. And I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, today I recognize that I'm a sinner. I repent of everything I've done wrong. I renounce my life of sin. And I accept your sacrifice. And I know it was the price 
You paid for my redemption. And today, Lord, I ask that the blood of your wounded body would wash me of all my rebellion, all my sin, set me free from any, from any sickness and from any pain. Lord, I accept that my debt has been paid. There is no outstanding balance. You paid everything for me on the cross of Calvary. I accept it by your blood. I am justified. And from this moment forward, you see me as I have never sinned. And by your blood, I am sanctified. And you've chosen me to serve you. I am willing to serve you, Lord. And, I, and today I open the door of my heart. I invite you to come in as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me and giving me eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Yeah.